Welcome to the Preserving Family Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. Well, everyone, we're so glad you're with us today. We are always excited about this time of year, Christmas season, and uh, look forward to talking about uh, a great Christmas topic today. But before we do, let's talk about Alaska for just a second. Yes, if any of you are still looking for a wonderful gift for your spouse or your children or anyone in your life, come join us. <clears throat> Excuse me. Come join us on Alaskan Cruise, June 2nd through 9th. It's going to be amazing. It's, we're going to be talking all things family, um, marriage, parenting, grandparenting. It's going to be awesome. We're going to have great food, faith, fun, adventures. It's going to be great. So come join us on that. You can check out any information on journeyings.org. Or you can just email us at preservingfamiliespodcast at gmail.com. Anyway, let's dive into our topic today. We want to talk about Christmas. It's coming. Merry Christmas, by the way, everyone. <laughs> I know, and you can't believe that it's really just like a week away, right? Isn't that just, uh, just it's, here it comes, right? And so... I hope all of you are uh, way ahead of where we are. <laughs> right, right. I know. Oh, oh. We, we do want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas, and it is our favorite time of year for a lot of reasons. And I, I still remember... And Janie, maybe you remember this, but there was a family in our in our Texas stake that as you drove up the hill to the stake center in McKinney, Texas, you would see that Jesus is the reason for the season sign. And it was always a great reminder, right, of what it's all about. Yes, let's try to keep that in our uh, forefront as we uh, get to the finish line here. <laughs> and as we transition to Santa right out, right out of the chute here. So we just thought it'd be fun to read a couple... Uh, letters, you know, the kids write letters to Santa all the time, and those are collected by different organizations. It's kind of fun to read. But here's one. Uh, Dear Santa, how are, are you and your reindeer doing? I'm doing fine. I want a new football game and a football because my little brother always tries to steal mine. He may look sweet, but he's the devil. <laughs> I also want a remote control truck. Love, Evan. <laughs> P.S. How do you get into my house on Christmas? Here's another one. Uh, Santa, dear Santa, you better bring me a pony this year or there will be consequences. This is not the way to talk to Santa, right? And dear Santa, could you come early this year? I've been really super good, but I don't know if, I, if that can last much longer. Please hurry. Love, Jordan. That's a good one. I can relate to that, right? How about this one? Dear Santa, for Christmas this year, I want a droid smartphone from Verizon. That's my carrier. <laughs> I've been very good. I got honor roll at school. Love Yvette. <laughs> and how'd she spell honor roll? <laughs> yeah. H-O-N-E-R. Uh, P.S. Ben was good too. Please bring him whatever he wants. <laughs> at least she's generous, right? Yeah. Dear Santa, I think you should leave a special present for my grandma. She said she knew you when you were a kid. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Dear Santa, Christmas is my favorite time of year because no... Because everybody is nice to everyone, even grown-ups. <laughs> That's my favorite. <laughs> I think this one's my favorite because I can relate to it when I was a kid. But dear Santa, my mother said that you only bring toys to good little boys and girls. That's not fair. <laughs> Just kind of admitting that, okay, I don't have what it takes here. 
Dear Santa, hi, I'm Devin. I would like to know if you're real. I believe, but my friends don't. So can you give me a signed picture of you and Mrs. Claus or something else? Please send back a bell from your sled and your picture. Oh, besides, are you really fat or do you really or do you diet? Please answer all the questions above and write letters back to me. <laughs> yeah, that's good. How about this? Maybe a lot of us as adults can relate to this one. Dear Santa, this year... Please give me a big fat bank account and a slim body. <laughs> and please don't get those two mixed up like you did last year. <laughs> Love, Lucy. I think that was probably from an adult, right? Maybe you've been from us. I think I wrote I mean, that. <laughs> yeah. You know, Janie, as we think about, you know, memorable Christmases, where my mind often goes is to consider A, those memorable Christmases is when something unusual happened, you know, and B, when we were involved in helping someone, you know, and I still remember, you know, for many years we would drive from Mesa, Arizona to Houston where our families lived, you know, and that was about a 20 hour drive if I remember right. And we would always go through the drive all night long to get there. And but I remember we didn't want to drive with the kids awake. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. And I was too cheap to get a hotel. Right. <laughs> Sorry about that. Honey, but, but anyway, as we're, you know, it, it was morning now and we're driving across West Texas and, uh, we noticed that stranded on the side of the road was a, a man who was kind of wave, trying to wave cars down to get help. And no one was really stopping. And so I pulled over, just felt kind of inspired to pull over and, and see what was going on. And he just explained that his uh, car had broken down and that he had been really trying to wave people down for like the last couple hours. And everyone was just kind of buzzing right past him, you know, which you always feel bad when you hear that those stories that here it is Christmas time and here he is, you know, this man is stranded. But anyway, we got him in the car and uh, he just explained that if you could just get me to the next town, which I think was maybe an hour away, maybe a little bit less, then he could get help from a mechanic to go back and take care of his car. He recognized that we were trying to get somewhere and probably wouldn't be able to drive him back and that was okay. But anyway, he gets in the car. Our children who were fussy all morning and had just been crying got super quiet. I mean, it was like stranger <laughs> danger to the max. They... They were just so quiet, and we had a great conversation with them, learned some things about them. But anyway, when we dropped him off, he wanted to give us a gift, and he did, you know. And we were reluctant to accept it at first, you know, and he just kept <clears throat> kept insisting. But after we had dropped him off, we opened up this envelope that he had given us, and it was, it was full of a sub substantial amount of money. And once again, back in those days, graduate school, eking by financially, it was just that turned out to be a great blessing. I mean, we were able to actually do a little bit more for our children for Christmas and for each other and have a little travel money to get, you know, where we were going. And, and anyway, so it turned out to be a blessing for him, but also a blessing for us. I'll never forget it. Yeah. That, another crazy Christmas that I always think of when I think of kind of crazy Christmases, but also that had blessed, that blessed our life was when we had a brand new baby, probably about four weeks old. And we, again, we're doing that same drive from Mesa, Arizona to Houston, Texas to visit our family for Christmas. And we had had a wonderful time. Christmas Eve rolled around. We had our traditional scone dinner. We were doing all the festivities, getting ready to... Um, night before Christmas. Night before Christmas, nativity, all those things that everybody does on Christmas Eve. And my mom went to play the piano and realized her glasses were missing. And she's like, dang it, I think I left them on the organ at church that day. 
Because that day had been Christmas Eve at church. Right. It was a Sunday, like this year will be, right? Yeah. And so my dad jumped in the car, ran back over to the church and to look for her glasses. Now, a little background on this is we had just built this brand new stake center five minutes from our home, which to a lot of people here in Utah doesn't seem like a big deal. But in Houston... That was the hugest thing that had happened to the church in a long time. <laughs> well, to, to those members in that area, to have a church that close. With, didn't you used to drive like an hour to church? Yeah, as when a I kid? was a young girl, we drove an hour to church and then we drove 30 minutes to church and then mm-hmm. we rented other buildings from other churches. Like, so to get a, a brand new stake center five minutes from our home was a huge deal. Yeah. And um, so my dad heads over to the church and. As he walked in the door, he walked in water up to his ankle. And one of the pipes had burst because we got snow that day, which was another miracle. <laughs> snow in Houston. <laughs> because oh snow in Houston doesn't happen usually. Once in a blue moon. And but, so that day. But especially on Christmas. On Christmas. <laughs> so that it hadn't snowed on Christmas for like 60 years. That's kind of the miracle of it. But. Because, you know, they build things different in Houston. They, they don't build things for cold or for right. snow. <laughs> One of the pipes had burst in this brand new steak center. So anyway, my dad comes home, grabs all my brothers and, bro- and husbands and my brother-in-laws, and they all head over to the church. They had called several people. The news spread quickly, and everybody in the area came out to the church to start you know, sucking up water. Here it is like what, seven or eight o'clock on Christmas Eve? On Christmas Eve. And at first it was kind of just like, oh, so disappointing that it kind of ruined our Christmas Eve, right? I mean, I think that's how people felt. But the camaraderie and all the help and everybody showing up on Christmas Eve to bail the church out and everybody hauling in fans to... Buckets and, yeah. And the wet vacs and everything (laughs) to suck up the water. And they just had this huge service project that went on all night long at the church on Christmas Eve. <laughs> right. Well, I remember that, Janie, because I came home and, of course, I was like, oh, my gosh. Well, now Christmas Eve is ruined. I mean, here we I think we got home like at 1030 or 11, you know. And I remember saying, wow, shoot, dang it, you know. And then uh, as I vented to you a little bit about, about that, you said, well, wait a minute. This kind of feels more like Christmas than it ever has. I mean, what could be better than being with your family and your friends up at the church, serving together and helping. And and like you said, the camaraderie and the great feeling that was there of, of doing something worthwhile. And right when you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, so right. You're exactly right. Okay, so our kids missed reading the night before Christmas or whatever. It was okay. And uh, anyway, I thought that was a great uh, a great lesson that you taught me, but also a great miracle to witness. The, just people willing to go that time, you know, at, at that time of Christmas Eve to serve and work together. And it was a fun atmosphere. I mean, they were playing Christmas music and everyone was just laughing and having a ball. So it was, yeah, it was kind of fun. <laughs> Janie, what you just said is really is a helpful transition into, I think, where we want to go today. Because it's easy, as we know, to get lost in Christmas. It's easy to get frustrated by Christmas. You know, I know that we know people that have said, in confidence, I don't think they'd want anyone to know, but they've said, I don't even like Christmas at all. It's just so stressful. It costs so much. I feel like we're, you know, people will say that they're, they're stretched beyond their capability because there's so many activities and 
what what i mean what are programs gift giving to our family members our friends our neighbors our church friends school teachers co-workers it just is the the amount of giving seems endless right and well especially and the responsibilities our, i was saying in our lds culture we kind of feel compelled right to do that and i i still remember one christmas eve we had all of our kids in the car and we were out delivering gifts to neighbors and ward members till till way too late that night but we felt it was our only time that we could have done it, and there that's what we were doing. And I, I do hear from other, especially moms, how mm. frustrating Christmas can be because of all that we're trying to do. We're trying to make it magical for our families. We're trying to do a fun activity every day. We're trying to give gifts of time. We're trying to give show and i mean the intent is great right we're trying to we show want to make love, it memorable yeah but also show love to every person who touched our lives which is impossible <laughs> right yeah but we you know we just with and then add on all the christmas concerts and the risk end of the year recitals and the school plays and the just everything that comes with celebrating christmas which is wonderful but it can really take a toll i think especially on moms yeah who are literally trying to just make it magical for everyone and right. I, I hear that all the time. <laughs> well, and even dads, I think, feel the stress of the, the of financial the cost. stress. Yeah, yeah, I know. I've I've felt that a lot. So, you know, I love this from uh, the Grinch movie. You know, this is probably the highlight for me. But Faith Hill's great song that I'm not going to sing for you. Okay, but <laughs> but the lyrics are great. Of where are you, Christmas? And why can't I find you? Why have you gone away? Where's the laughter you used to bring me and why can't I hear the music play? I just think, you know, that's so easy to feel that way. I mean, we could even feel that way about Christmas within Christmas because we've changed the meaning of Christmas so much. You know, even even the songs that start to play now on the radio, although a lot of us don't listen to radio anymore, but, you know, you could say that songs on the radio start probably right what before or right after Thanksgiving. When does Costco and the other stores start putting up their Christmas stuff? Um, like August now. Every year it gets earlier and earlier. <laughs> so, you, so you kind of th- you know have this idea that okay, if Faith Hill is singing, "Where are you, Christmas?" You're at first you're like, "Well, Faith, are you are your eyes open? Are you?" We've been doing Christmas now since October. Is is on one hand, but even Christmas music, you know, one of the things I I think about a little bit is this idea of getting lost in Christmas with Christmas because. So much of Christmas has changed from Christ and what it means to give and bless and help to winter. Sometimes it feels like we're actually we're actually celebrating wintertime to me. I mean, if you think of it, every one of those kid shows uh, that we used to watch when we were young children, it's all a winter wonderland. In fact, so many of the Christmas songs now, it's uh, Blue Christmas, it's uh, Frosty the Snowman, it's Here Comes Santa Claus. It's Holly white, Jolly Christmas. White Christmas. <laughs> it's White Christmas. It's Let It Snow. It's Sleigh Ride. It's Winter Wonderland. And it's kind of this idea, are we are we celebrating Christmas or are we celebrating the Winter Olympics you know, or something, right? <laughs> you know what's funny, Marcus? I mean, you'll remember when we were in Australia a couple months ago, one of the ladies we were chatting with in the airport, she was like, it's so funny in America that all your songs have to do with winter and snow and Christmas because down here it's our summer. Christmas is summertime and beach. And and I guess, I mean, I knew that, but I never had really thought about that and how 
different it is for half the world or most of the world or even people that live in the southwest part of the United States. <laughs> They're on the beach on Christmas. They're not up in the mountains taking sleigh rides. and <laughs> It's just funny. Yeah. Yeah. And we've kind of really created that here in our country. And by the way, I love it. I love that part of it. As a kid growing up in Houston, Texas, my whole life, I dreamed of living somewhere where there would be snow at Christmas time. But it really doesn't have a lot to do to do with it. In fact, there's so many disconnections. I remember a few years ago, I was at Sportsman's Warehouse, which for some of you, that's just a great place to buy camping equipment and those type of things. But I was in there and we had spent a few hundred dollars on one of our adult children for camping equipment. And I remember walking out, having spent this wad of money and thinking, okay, so Jesus was born in a manger and for some reason, I'm now required to buy my one of my adult children $300 worth of camping equipment. And I realized, okay, I'm way, I'm in, just in my thinking, I'm way off, right, of, of what Christmas is really supposed to be about. So we do believe that a lot of people are experiencing Christmas fatigue, is what we would call it. Where by the time December 25th rolls around, a lot of us are just almost glad that well, we're exhausted, right? We're just exhausted. And glad it's over, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's gear up for the new year, right? But obviously, that's not how we want it. I mean, we want Christmas to be meaningful. We want it to be special. We want it to be focused on the Savior. You know, I think if that's where our focus is, and everything that we do is surrounded with that and focusing on the Savior, focusing on love, focusing on sharing that with other people around us, then it changes everything. <laughs> I think so, yeah. And, uh, you know, and even focused on our families to some degree, but also on the idea of, of what we're going to do and what we can do together to bond ourselves even closer. And I think if we have those ideas in mind, we're going to be okay as we head into the Christmas holidays. So one of the areas we want to just focus on here for a few minutes is we want to talk about the three levels of Christmas. And I know that a lot of people have done things uh, with that recently. I think we've even heard a First Presidency Christmas devotional talk on that topic uh, in our recent past. But really, the original three levels of Christmas was a viewpoint, you know, like an editorial published in the church news back in December, on December 15th, 1985. And it was written by the editor and general manager, William B. Smart. And then he included it in 1989 in his book, Messages for a Happier Life. Now, the cool thing, because, you know, the, sometimes something this awesome will skip a generation or whatever. So in 2014, the Deseret News republished the three levels of Christmas. And now, Janie, like you were saying, many others have, have written books and done things with it. But it's, it's, just, it's just worth repeating because I think it's so good. And so William Smart calls level one, he calls it the Santa Claus level. And when we think of this level, it's Christmas carolers, it's shopping malls, it's jingle bells, it's deck the halls, it's all those wonderful uh, Christmas shows that come on, especially the ones for kids. Uh, this level is characterized by excited children, probably worn out parents. And then here's William Smart. He said, it's, the, it's, it's at this level where we eat too much and spend too much and do too much and enjoy every minute of it. We love the Santa Claus level of Christmas. And you know what? This is how I grew up uh, on that night, you know, on December 24th, going out with our family to look at Christmas lights, eating all the fun food, having a few Christmas Eve traditions, and then a great, a great Christmas day. But sadly, I also remember how 
devastating about the afternoon of December 25th was <laughs> you've opened all the presents, you've kind of messed with everything. In our family, we already broke two or three things, you know. And <laughs> anyway. And you know, Mark, I think those, for those of us with children, this is where we spend the majority of our time for Christmas is all these fun things, all the fun traditions that we have as families are centered in these and cute, fun things that we do to just make the season magical. Right. What's, I mean, this and is, it's okay. this Santa Claus is a big part of that, right? It's okay. Especially if we talk to our children about what Santa Claus represents and what he symbolizes as someone who loves and gives to all the children of the world. And, you know, I mean, he could, he's kind of a, could be a symbolic res- re- representation of the savior, you know, if we tie it in that way, but that this is the fun part of Christmas. And I love this part and nobody's saying that not to do this part, you know, mm. we do need to be involved in wrapping and bows and fun things and fun traditions and giving and shopping and all the fun movies. Going to visit and, Santa. And... Yeah. Those are, that is what makes the season fun and special because let's face it, this is a special season. Everyone feels it, right? Even people maybe that aren't as religious religious or or christian everyone loves the christmas season i shouldn't say everyone because i'm sure there's people that don't but for (laughs) the most part this is a special season and so he's not saying that we shouldn't have this this level i think this level is very important i was thinking about this level and i was thinking about how elder stevenson in our couple conferences ago really encouraged us to make easter special like kind of like equivalent to christmas And I just thought, how fun would that be if Easter also lasted a month and we lit up everything and we had all those same fun traditions that we do at Christmas time around Easter to celebrate the Savior. Because and I so that's why I think I don't think he's asking us to do less in this part. Mm -hmm. I think he's asking us to up it, (laughs) up it at Easter time. But it made me feel better about this level one that we're okay. This is all the fun part, right? As long as we still focus on the Savior, which we're going to talk about in just a second with the other two levels. And you know what? Even even as an adult, I can get behind Santa. It's I, fun. I, I can get behind Santa because I think Santa represents so much of Christ. Hard to get behind the tooth fairy for me. Hard to get behind the, the Easter bunny. But Santa, I can get behind, right? So let's transition to the second level. Mm. That Brother Smart talks about the second level of Christmas is the silent night level. And it is here where we sing those glorious Christmas songs, he said, such as, O Holy Night, Silent Night, and Angels We Have Heard on High, Away in a Manger, all those those great songs about when the Savior was born. We read the story in Luke 2 about now in those days there went... You know, right. a, a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. I think we all do that, right, on Christmas Eve. I love it. It's the level of the crowded inn and the silent holy moment in a dark stable when the Son of Man came to earth. It's the shepherds on steep bare hills near Bethlehem, angels with their glad tithing, uh, tidings, a new star in the east, wise men traveling far in search of the Holy One. How beautiful and meaningful it is, Brother Smart says, how in infinitely poorer we would be without this sacred second level of Christmas. The problem with level one and even this level is that these levels don't last. Yeah. 12 days of Christmas at the first level is about all most of us can stand. It's too expensive and too intense, too extravagant. The tree dies out, the needles fall off, the candles burn down, the beautiful wrappings go 
out with the trash, the carolers are up on the ski slopes, and toys break, and the biggest day in the stores for the entire year to exchange is December 26th. <laughs> <laughs> the totally. feast is over, the dieting begins, but the lonely and the hungry are still with us, perhaps lonelier and hungrier than before, William Smart says. I think that's so, Love that. so profound. Yeah. Even the second level, the level of the baby Jesus can't last. How many times this season can we sing Silent Night or mm. Away in a Manger? The angels and the star and the shepherd, even the silent sacred mystery of the holy night itself can't long satisfy humanity's basic need. Mm. The man who keeps Christ in the manger will, in the end, be disappointed and empty. Which seems kind of a wild thought, right? Because I think a lot of us feel like, but wait, we're doing that. We're, we're reading Luke 2 and we're watching the little LDS video about the birth of Jesus, you know, and the star. So we should be okay, right? And celebrating the baby Jesus is great. It's, you know, his birthday. But I think we, if we keep him, like you said, if we keep him there on that level as a manger. baby, that yes, we are going to be sad and disappointed in the end. Right. I think that's... That's so significant. What a great thought. Now, this is what William B. Smart called the adult Christ level, level three. And by the way, Janie, like you said, I love what you said a minute ago, that it's not either level one or level two or level three. It's it's that all these build on each other and they're all good. Let's not get and rid of any of them. we need all three. Yeah, let's keep sure. all three. But let's just transition and move into this level three. And here, once again, is William B. Smart. We want to give him all the credit here. That no, for Christmas to last all year long, he said, for it to grow in beauty and meaning and purpose, and for Christmas to have the power to change lives, we must celebrate it at the third level, that of the adult Christ. It's at that level, not as an infant, that our Savior brings his gifts of lasting joy, lasting peace, and lasting hope. He said it was the adult Christ who reached out and touched the untouchable, who loved the unlovable, and who so loved all of us that even in his agony on the cross, he prayed for forgiveness for his enemies. Now that's what we've got to figure out, right? We've got to figure out, okay, how do we spend some of our Christmas at the adult Christ level? Probably the majority of our Christmas. (laughs) How do we keep that focus? The thing that I love about the adult level of Christmas is that I think when I start getting down on myself that maybe I'm spending too much time in level one or level two at Christmas. We need to spend the third level of Christmas every day of our life, 365, right? Mm. And so it's not that this is our only season to celebrate Christ and remember him. We should be remembering him every day at every time and everything that we do. And so when I get overwhelmed with all the level one or two things part of Christmas, I'm like, no, this is dumb. This is not my only season or only day to celebrate Christ. We do it every single day, hopefully. Yeah, I love that, Janie. And I, you know, I think I think what we can share, if we stay with this idea that true doctrine changes attitudes and behavior quicker than the study of behaviors changes behavior, you called to my attention recently a wonderful, incredible talk that we would love to share with everyone Given by President Utdorf, I believe it was Christmas of 2014, and the talk was called The Generous One, The Generous One. And I think that there's some messages in that talk that have helped me have kind of what I would call a Charlie Brown and Linus type of experience where you can walk away and go, okay, so that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown kind of feel, right? Mm-hmm. 
First of all, can we just talk about that name of Christ, the generous one? Yeah. We we just recently <clears throat> did an activity in our family where we each picked a different name of Christ we, last Sunday, and we talked about it and made ornaments with our favorite name. I wish I had known about that name. <laughs> I love that name. Right. The generous one. Wow. So powerful. What a great Christ-like attribute. Well, I believe that the messages in this talk by President Utdorf can help us spend most of our Christmas at level three. Here's what he said. He said that Christmas is that rarest of seasons when we see each other with new eyes, when we open our hearts a little bit more to the beauty around us and to reach out to others with a little more kindness and compassion as adults. If we're lucky, every now and then we can briefly catch a glimpse of what it feels to be a child once more. You know, one of the things that President Udorf does in this message is he talks about the history of the song, Carol of the Bells. Oh, love that Christmas carol. But President Uchtdorf goes on to talk about how this song wasn't, didn't used to be a Christmas carol, that it was an old Ukrainian folk song Mm. known as Shedakdrik. I'm not going to even try to say it. S-H-C-H-E-D-R-Y-K. And it's translated as the generous one. Mm. Ukrainian families used to sing this song at the beginning of the new year. The original lyrics tell of a swallow that flies into the family's house and foretells the marvelous good fortune that awaits them in the coming year. Mm. And I love the feeling of this story. It's love of hope, of optimism. And isn't that the message of Christmas, Elder Uchtdorf says? Even when the world may appear quite dark, when things aren't going right, when our hearts are overflowing with disappointment and worry, even in the midst of sadness and sorrow, we sing about joy to the world and goodwill towards men because of Christ who came to give light to them that sit in darkness. How appropriate then that the beloved Christmas carol we just heard was originally titled The Generous One. Mm. Christmas is, after all, a time of generosity. Inspired by that spirit, we sometimes spend hours looking for the perfect gift to give our friends and family. We seek ways to be more helpful and cheerful. We are prompted to spend a little more time with those that we love. We become more aware of those in need, and often we extend ourselves more generously to aid them. All of this is our imperfect but heartfelt echo of the generosity of the Savior, whose birth we seek to honor at this time of year. Yeah, I I really love this message. I love as we talk about the generosity of Christ and to think of how much he has given to all of us, how much he gives us every day. And what a great focal point on if not only is Christ generous, but if we want to become like him, we we too become generous. I love the part that Elder Uchtdorf talks about that when the world may appear quite dark, when things aren't going right, when our hearts are overflowing with disappointment and worry, even in the midst of sadness and sorrow, that we can still sing about joy to the world and good world, goodwill towards men because of Christ. And yeah. it's so many hard things are going <clears throat> going on around us all. And we just had some family friends that got some really bad news yesterday. Yeah. And my heart breaks for for them and for people, but 
through the goodness of Christ, through his generosity, through his love, his patience, his atoning sacrifice that he made in our behalf, through his boundless tender mercies, through his peace, all those gifts come through him because he is the generous one. And that's what we have to focus on at this Christmas time. And even though our lives aren't great, and even though they're not perfect, and even though we have a lot of trials and things going on in all of our lives, and all of our lives are different, and we all experience different things, that we can find that peace, we can find the joy, we can find the goodness, we can find the light because of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, Janie, that's, that's so well said. And in that talk for me, one of the one of the turning points is or at least the significant points, is when President Uddorf talks about gratitude. You know, we often think of gratitude as something that kind of starts and ends with Thanksgiving, but I I can see this season of gratitude. Of course, we want to, you know, exercise Thanksgiving every day, as it says in the Book of Mormon, but, but this special season when we focus on it during Thanksgiving needs to extend all the way through this, this holiday. And so in this message, President Utdorf talks about the 10 lepers and that whole story that everyone's familiar with. But then he shared this. In this message, the, the generous one, President Utdorf told this story that's it's worth repeating. He said, one example I learned about gratitude involved a man who lived in Africa. And because of a disability, this man had never been able to walk. He was forced to spend most of his time in his parents' home. He couldn't work. He couldn't go out with his friends. He could not even do the simple things that we all take so much for granted. Then he heard something remarkable. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints was bringing wheelchairs to an event not far from his home. He asked a friend to take him to the event, and there he watched as dozens of disabled men, women, and children were lifted into new gleaming wheelchairs. Oh, how he wanted to sit in one of those chairs, how it would change his life for a moment. If he could move about by his own power, he waited in line until finally it was his turn. Two men lifted him into the, into the chair, and for the first time in his life, he was able to move freely. And as he moved about hesitant, at first he moved about hesitantly, but as he got the feel of the wheelchair, he moved more courageously. He turned, he twisted, he sprinted, he waved enthusiastically with both hands as he raced past his friend. He flew. The look on his face was one of joy, and after a time, however, he slowly wheeled the chair back to the others, and with an expression of calm resignation, he prepared to be helped out. What are you doing? What are you doing? His friend asked. The man smiled and shrugged his shoulders. It's someone else's turn now, he said. The church humanitarian missionary knelt beside him and said, This wheelchair is yours. The man couldn't believe it. He had assumed this event was only to demonstrate what it was like to ride in a wheelchair. It's truly mine, he asked. Yes, but I have no money. It is yours. It is a gift from people who love you. When the reality of what was happening finally sunk in, this humble man looked at his friend. He looked at the missionary. He tried to hold back the tears, but it was in vain. And as he wept, he laughed at the sheer joy of what he felt. His friend of the missionary wept with him. Thank you, he said in a whisper. He hugged them both and settled into his chair, and then with a whoop, he took off again with a big smile. I can fly, he shouted as he sped back and forth along the pavement. This man understood gratitude. And isn't that a great focus for Christmas? Once again, not over, not passing over that with our Thanksgiving season, but to focus on the things that we have, the 
the wonderful bounty that Christ has blessed us with, the opportunities that we have. And it feels like there's always someone in a worse plight. And if we're generous, hopefully we can reach out and help those people. But also if we're grateful, we can learn and we can stay at the third level of Christmas, the level of the adult Christ. I remember a few years ago, and I think we've shared this experience before when we were talking about gratitude, but we had a wonderful Christmas, very overwhelming Christmas where we were very, very blessed and everybody in the room felt very grateful and overwhelmed by everything that we had. And at the end, after we were done opening all of our beautiful gifts, my mom said, very overwhelmed and with what we had and how blessed we were. She asked us all to kneel down and said a prayer of thanksgiving for how blessed we were. And I think that was such a great blessing. And then a moment I'll never forget and a a lesson to me on how we need to thank the Lord for every little thing that we have, that all this is his, that comes from him and his tender mercies in our life. Right. Janie, I remember that too. And it was a great lesson and I've never forgot it. Thank you for bringing that up. I'm going to continue with President Utdorf just for a minute as he ties this all together. He says, have we ever felt such pure, unbounded thankfulness? During this Christmas season and throughout the year, I pray that we'll remember the generous one. By the way, that's in all caps. Our God, our Father, our beloved shepherd and counselor, for he is the gift giver. He is the generous one. And when we, his children, plead for bread, he does not hand us a stone. Rather, he endows us with gifts so sublime and precious that they exceed our ability to fully comprehend and ever imagine. He gives us peace. He gives us joy. He gives us abundance. He gives us protection. He gives us provision and favor and hope and confidence and love and salvation and eternal life. Or in other words, he's given us everything that we have. President Uchtdorf continued, This Christmas season, we celebrate the greatest gift of all, the one that makes all other gifts possible, the birth of the babe of Bethlehem. Because of him, the grave hath no victory, and the sting of death is swallowed up in Christ. He is the light and the life of the world, yea, a light that is endless, that can never be darkened. I joyfully give thanks to God for his generosity. He saves us from loneliness, emptiness, and unworthiness. He opens our eyes and our ears. He transforms darkness into light, grief into hope, and loneliness to love. He frees us from the past of slavery and selfishness and opens the path to a present of purpose and a future of fulfillment. This is he whom we worship. This is our God. This is the generous one. (laughs) Wow. Love that. That's my new favorite name for Christ. (laughs) Mine too, honey. I think that's awesome. And you know, Mark, this is the Christ at the third level that we just talked about. This is the Christ that we need to worship every day, to recognize his hand in all things in our life and how he blesses us and the constant joy that we receive from him, no matter what's going on in our life, that we can focus on him as the center of our life and that that's everything is going to work out. His kindness, his generosity, and his love for us, his compassion is something that we should think about every day. It's incredible. We're so blessed. I think to keep Christ at that third level of Christmas, not just at Christmas, but our whole life. I love this quote by President Hunter where he said, we must know Christ better than we know him. We must remember him more than, more often than we remember him. We must serve him more valiantly than we serve him. Then we will drink water springing up into eternal life and we'll eat the bread of life. 
Oh, I think that's so good. What a great reminder from President Howard W. Hunter. Another thing that President Hunter said, and this is a great invitation to all of us as we try to spend our Christmas at level three. He said, this Christmas, he gave us an invitation. That's what prophets do. Mend a quarrel. Seek out a forgotten friend. Dismiss suspicion and replace it with trust. Write a letter. Give a soft answer. Encourage youth. Manifest your loyalty in word and deed. Keep a promise. Forego a grudge. Forgive an enemy. Apologize. Try to understand. Examine your demands on others. Think first of someone else. Be kind. Be gentle. Laugh a little bit more. Express your gratitude. Welcome a stranger. Gladden the heart of a child. Take pleasure in the beauty and the wonder of the earth. Speak your love and then speak it again. For that reference, it's the gifts of Christmas, the ensign, December of 2002. All of you would have access to it. But I love, you know, as President Hunter speaks, I don't think he's expecting us or inviting us to do everything that was just listed there. But if we just chose one of those, that could make a big difference in our own life and in the lives of those that we love this Christmas season. And now we conclude with one last lesson. I think one of our favorite Christmas stories told by Elder Neil L. Anderson called Room in the Inn. On a bright, crisp winter afternoon, we pointed our van toward the mission home in Bordeaux, France. It was December 24th, 1990, and we were on our way home for Christmas. Now, for those who don't know, at this time, Elder Anderson was the mission president of the France-Bordeaux mission. My wife, Kathy, and I, along with our four children, Cammie, age 14, Brant, 13, Kristen, 10, and Derek, 8, had just experienced a week to remember. Because of the distances involved in our mission, we had not brought the missionaries together for a Christmas celebration. Rather, we had traveled as a family to every city in the mission, bringing a feeling of family togetherness, involving the children, and sharing a special Christmas program. Our family had rejoiced with each of the missionaries and the great privilege of sharing the restored gospel of Christ at this glorious time of year. On our final day, we had been joined by four wonderful missionaries. The large blue van, now full, was filled as well as with Christmas spirit and Christmas carols and favorite stories made the travel time pass quickly. Kristen and Derek were becoming more excited with each hour as they anticipated the surprises Christmas morning would bring. We could almost smell the turkey dinner being prepared at the mission home by a wonderful missionary couple awaiting our return. The feeling of Christmas was in the air. It was not until late in the afternoon that we realized there might be a problem. For much of the morning, we had experienced some difficulty in shifting our van from one gear to the other. We had stopped to check the level of transmission fluid, but all seemed to be in order. Now with darkness setting in and our van still two hours from Bordeaux, third and fourth and fifth gears stopped functioning altogether. We limped along the tree-lined country road in second gear. It would be impossible to drive to Bordeaux in this condition, and we looked for possible help. Our first hope was a convenience store just preparing to close. I asked about a possible rental car locations or train stations nearby. We were far from any city of any size, however, and my questions brought little response. I returned to the van. The concern and disappointment showed on the faces of our younger children. Would they not be home for Christmas Eve? Would they spend this most special night of the year in a crowded mission van? After they had brought happiness and cheer to missionaries far from home, would their Christmas come alongside a forgotten French country road far from their home? 
Krista knew to whom we could appeal, and she immediately suggested a prayer. Many times as a family, we had prayed for those in need, for the missionaries, the investigators, the church members, and our leaders, the French people, and our own family. We bowed in prayer and humbly asked for help. But by now it was dark, and the van crept forward, moving at a jogger's pace through the pine forest. We were hoping to reach a little town just three miles ahead. Soon our lights caught a small sign with an arrow directing us to Villeneuve de Marsan, which I'm sure I'm not saying that right at all, by the way. We had driven the two-lane road from Pau to Bordeaux many times, but never had we journeyed off the highway to the little town of Villeneuve de Marsan. As we hobbled into the town, the scene was like many small French villages. Homes and small shops were attached to one another, crowding the narrow road leading into town. People had closed their window shutters early, and the streets were dark and deserted. The lights in the ancient Catholic church in the center of the town showed the one sign of life as they glowed in preparation for the traditional midnight mass. We rolled past the church, and the van hesitated and then stopped. Fortunately, we found ourselves in front of a lovely country inn. The lights were on, and we determined that this was our last chance for help. To avoid overwhelming those in the inn, Kathy, Cammie, and the missionary stayed in the van while I took the three younger children inside. I explained our situation to the young woman at the front desk. She could see the beleaguered faces of my children, and she kindly asked us to wait while she called the innkeeper, Mr. Francis Darose. Cammie came in to see how we were doing, and as we waited for Mr. DeRose to arrive, I silently said a prayer of thanksgiving. We, not, we might not make it back to Bordeaux for the night, but how good of our Father in Heaven to lead us to a nice hotel. I shuddered as I realized how easily we could have spent the night in the van in a remote area of France. I could see a restaurant in the next room, and I was amazed to see it open on Christmas Eve. We could have a good meal, a hot shower, and a comfortable sleep. Mr. DeRose arrived in the clothing of a traditional French chef with his double-breasted chef's coat buttoned all the way up to his chin. He was the owner of the hotel, a man of importance in the community. His warm eyes and quick smile communicated that he was a gentleman as well. <clears throat> I told him of our dilemma, of the ten of us in the van and of our destination to Bordeaux. As he noticed my accent, I added that we were Americans and in one sentence told him why we were in France. He instantly sought to help us. About 10 miles away was a medium-sized city with an active train schedule. He called to ask about the next train to Bordeaux, but found it would not leave until 10.15 Christmas morning. All rental car companies in that larger city were closed. The disappointment was evident in the faces of my young children. I asked Mr. DeRose if he would have room in the inn for our family and for the four missionaries to spend the night. Although we wouldn't make it home, at least it was a great blessing to have found such suitable accommodations. Mr. DeRose looked at the children. He had known us only a few minutes, but his heart was touched with the brotherhood that crosses all oceans and makes us one family. The spirit of Christmas giving filled his soul. Mr. Anderson, he said, of course I have rooms here that you can rent, but you don't want to spend Christmas Eve here in the inn. Children should be home as they await the excitement of Christmas morning, I will lend you my car, and you can go to Bordeaux tonight. I was amazed at his thoughtfulness. Most people would view strangers, especially foreigners like us, with caution. I thanked him, but explained that there were ten of us, and a small French car would never be sufficient. 
He hesitated momentarily, but his hesitation was not to diminish the gift, but to expand it. At my farm, about 10 miles from here, I have an old van. It is used for farming and has only the two seats in the front. It will travel only about 40 miles, 45 miles per hour, and I am not certain that heater works well, but if you want it, I will drive you the 10 miles to my farm to get it. The children jumped for joy. I reached them to my pocket for cash or credit cards. He quickly shook his head and finger in disapproval. No, he said, I will take nothing. You can bring my van back to me when you get time after Christmas. It's Christmas Eve. Take your family home. Sometime shortly after midnight, the lights of Bordeaux came into view. The children and the missionaries had fallen asleep in the back of the innkeeper's van. As we drove the familiar streets leading to our home, Kathy and I thanked our kind Heavenly Father for our own Christmas miracle. At a time when only He could bring us home, He had heard our prayers. We were home on Christmas Eve, even though in Villeneuve de Marsan, there was no room in the inn, he said. Well, I love that story. I just visualize almost a scene from Beauty and the Beast or something and, and uh, this little village uh, at Christmas time. But as we talk about Christmas, as we've discussed that today at the adult Christ level, and to think of Mr. DeRose, the innkeeper, who was willing to give a lot more than most people would be willing to give and sacrifice more than most would sacrifice, so that one family, a family of complete strangers, could be able to be home for Christmas, teaches me more about the generous one, our Savior Jesus Christ, teaches us more about service and love and compassion towards others. And isn't it great that even though Elder Anderson said there was no room in the inn, obviously there was. In this case, the inn was the van, but uh, so grateful for that wonderful reminder of what Christmas is really all about. And to all of you, we wish you a Merry, Merry Christmas. And with that, we hope for all of you that uh, the spirit of the gospel and of the Christmas season will be in your hearts and in your homes. And that for an invitation today, all we would suggest as visit with each other as a couple or if you're an individual or with other members of your family and find ways to celebrate this Christmas season as at the adult Christ level. Thank you so much, everyone. It's been so great to be with you. We look forward to rejoining you in January. We're going to take the next week or so off and enjoy Christmas with our families. But as we prepare for the new year, we promise you another episode, this time on goals and counsels. Until then, have a wonderful, wonderful Christmas season. A Merry Christmas and a very, very happy Christmas.